Well, good morning. Thanks for being here today. It is Super Bowl Sunday, so you get a jewel in your crown in heaven automatically. Just you get a jewel, you get a jewel, everybody gets a jewel in your crown in heaven for showing up at church on Super Bowl Sunday. Maybe not. Dusty is pulling for the 49ers, and Ken is pulling for the Chiefs. They're actually going to fight each other to the death later. Should be exciting. Hey, listen, we're talking about change that lasts a lifetime because, you know, we we passed the beginning of January, we were talking about change in your life, and, you know, everybody's engaged in this thing where you change for a little while, then you kind of slide right back to where you were. It doesn't doesn't help you, it doesn't get you where you want to go, so we're looking at what does God have to say about the kind of change that lasts throughout your whole life. Uh, This series has been really, truly transformative for for some of you. I've heard from many of you that just said, you know, this is what I needed right now. I was dealing with that thing in my life that's just eating my lunch. It's just ruining things for me. And and so I, I hope it's been helpful for you. Our next teaching series is on the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit renews your relationships, your relationship with God, your relationship with the community, your relationship with family and with the world. And so I hope you'll join us for that. Um, but today we're thinking about, you know, as we move forward from this series, we've kind of looked at what, what God says about change, what the Bible says about change, but I want to kind of prepare you for what's next, for when you're, you're making progress in your life, you're changing in your life, but you slip up, you mess up, you fall off the wagon, right? There's a hundred ways to say it. So we're going to look at four reasons change doesn't last. And I personally know what this feels like. I bet you do too. If you could look at my journals from when I was a young man, it would be the most boring thing you could possibly read because you would open up to any given day, and this is basically what it would say. God, I don't know what's wrong with me. I messed up again. God, I know you forgive me, but I need help. Please help. God, I want to change, but I'm so frustrated. I keep giving in to temptation. I keep hurting people I love. I keep saying stupid things, and I keep doing foolish things. God, help. That was basically Monday through Friday, you know, 365 days a year, every journal entry for years and years and years, just that pain of wanting to change but not being able to change. Maybe you know what that feels like, maybe you're there now, but I know this, every person in this room today knows the pain of change that doesn't last, and that feeling that you're a failure that comes with it. Ever started a diet that didn't work out? I'm on that plan right now. I'm planning on absolutely wrecking my diet later tonight for the Super Bowl. We know what it's like when we make a resolution and it lasts for two weeks. We know what it's like when we say, I'm going to do this, but then your willpower becomes won't power. It doesn't last through the end of the day. And you know, sometimes it's just a, a silly thing, a small thing. Sometimes it's just a failed diet. But other times it's the kind of change that you need in your life that could, it's going to have a serious impact on your life going forward. Your ability to experience deep, meaningful change in your life, your ability to resist temptations that are currently getting you down every single time, it might be the difference in your life between having loving relationships and ending up alone. It might determine your ability to experience intimacy in your closest relationships. It might be the difference between a long life and a short life. It could be the difference between joy and peace and a vibrant walk with God and depression and anger at yourself and bitterness The ability to change is going to determine the quality of your life going forward. The ability to change and stick with it as a person determines your character. Now, the Bible acknowledges that there's there's basically two kinds of people, right, when it comes to change. And our verse that's kind of guiding my thinking for our time today is Proverbs 24, 
16. And the, according to the Bible here that there's people who fall but get, get back up and they keep pressing forward. And then there's also people who fall down and stay down. So we're going to do something we don't normally do. Let's read the verse out loud together. It starts, for the righteous falls. So ready, one, two, three. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Now, think about this verse for just a second. The first thing you get out of this verse is that no one is exempt from falling. Everybody falls. In other words, you're going down. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're going down. Yeah. Now, there's all kinds of reasons that we fall. You know, we're in church, so we kind of tend to, you know, churches have a bad habit of thinking everything's a sin problem. And so, you know, you fall, your life crumbles, and, and people think, oh, what did that person do wrong? They must have been a really big sinner, right? But not everything's a sin problem, a sin mess. Um, that was the church lady, for those of you old enough to know who that is. If you don't Google it, it's online. Okay. You might fall because of a sin mess, but you know what? There's other ways. You might fall because of a life mess. You know what a life mess is? It's when your company is downsizing and you just lose your job. It's not your fault. It just happens. Your whole life kind of crumbles and falls apart. That's a life mess. You might fall because of a relationship mess. A relationship mess is when two normal people live in the same space and they end up, because of personality differences, just being people trying to kill each other, just murder each other. You know, you end up working with a coworker, and it's just a relational mess. It's not that they sinned against you or you against them. It's just personalities and big personalities, and it's a relational mess, and that can cause you to fall. Or you might call it fall because of a sin mess. I mean, there's times when you say, wow, my, my life blew up, and this one's on me. And I know it's on me, and I know it's my fault. And so there's life messes, relational messes, there's sin messes, and then just to complicate matters, sometimes relational messes become sin messes. You ever been in one of those? Sometimes life messes cause you to sin out of, you know, the, the worry and the anxiety, and so you give in to temptation. But everyone is going to fall. But according to this verse, there are people, some people fall, and they get back up, and they keep going, and they keep fighting. They rise again, even if they fall seven times. This is the righteous person. Now, righteous in the Bible doesn't just mean moral. It does mean that, somebody who lives a morally upright life. But in the Bible, when it uses the word like the righteous person, especially in the Psalms and Proverbs, it means someone who lives morally out of the overflow of their relationship with God. That's what a righteous person is in the Bible. And so, and so if, you, if you want to change in your life, you have to expect that there's going to be some times when you slip back into old habits old patterns, and if you want to be the kind of person who perseveres through that, you have to expect setbacks. For the righteous person, a setback is a setup for a comeback. That's what it is. It allows you to keep going. It allows you to persevere because you have a relationship with God. Now, there's another person in this verse, and it's a person who's wicked. They stumble in times of calamity. In other words, life gets you down and you stay down. When life trips you up, you stumble and fall. You don't rise again. You stay down. So the difference between the righteous and the wicked here is the relationship with God. And the reason, the reason that this creates a resilient kind of person where change perseveres in your life is because when you know God, God blesses you. When you know God, he gives you all the grace you need to get back up and keep going. When you know God, he gives you the grace you need to keep changing. He gives you the grace to stand back up again and keep going. 
That's the difference. God is absolutely committed to seeing you transformed into a new person. There's a verse in the Bible that says, you know, when it comes to you, the old is gone, the new is coming. You are a new creation now, and God is completely committed to helping you become that new person in Christ. God uses his supernatural power to help you get back up so that your failure is never fatal and it's never final when God is in your life. He's committed to it. So today, we're going to look at how to be that righteous person who gets back up and keeps going, who stays close to God and receives the help we need so that the change doesn't drop out of our lives. And we're going to look at the four reasons change doesn't last and, and how we can persevere as a result. Now, this is in your teaching notes for today. So if you open it up to the inside, if you're a note taker, that's where we'll be. So the, the first reason change doesn't last in your life is because I blame my circumstances. That's it. So much of what we want to change in our lives are our negative reactions to what people say, what people do, and what life throws at us. We wish we could respond differently to life. You ever thought, man, I wish I could respond differently to stress in my life. You ever had that thought? We need to change. We wish we could respond differently to our spouse's words. We wish we could respond differently to our kids' tantrums. We wish we could respond differently to our professor's condescending attitudes. We wish we could respond differently. And it's not just to the negative things in our life. Sometimes our responses to the positive things, the blessings in our life come out and are gross too. I mean, sometimes uh, when we're blessed, we become proud. We become rude. We become arrogant or we become self-righteous. So much of what we want to change is our responses to the situations around us. And here's the thing. I will never change if I blame my circumstances for my responses. I am responsible for my response. And when you start to take responsibility, you start to change. We talked about this in week two, that the way the Bible talks about taking responsibility for your life is actually the word confession. Now, when we think confession, sometimes, you know, depending on how you grew up, you know, you think like I go into a little phone booth and I talk to a guy in a robe and I tell him all my sins and then he gives me things to do. And then I, you know, I feel better about myself and I did the things and I'm right with God. Confession in the Bible is not about a booth. Confession in the Bible is owning personal responsibility for my words and actions without excuses and without shifting the blame. That's confession. It's owning personal responsibility for my words and actions without excuses and without shifting the blame. And blame is such a huge problem for humans. The Bible uh, has a story in it about the first human marriage falling apart. It's a really ancient story. It's in the book of Genesis. It's, uh, you may have heard of them. They're Adam and Eve. And, um, you know, part of what happens in these old stories, because, you know, you may come out of a background where you think like, well, you know, I, I guess that's like, you know, it's mythological or whatever it is. Well, here's, here's the deal. Whether you believe that the Bible is true or not. Now, I do. That's part of the reason why I'm standing up here, right? What happened was they were they were encoding knowledge about human beings into stories. So there is something fundamentally true about human beings in these stories, whether you believe them or not. Now, like I said, I believe them. But one of the things that they find is that when the very first marriage unravels, the, one of the first things they do is play the blame game. Look at Genesis uh, 3.12. It's on the screen in your notes. God shows up and he says... Um, hey, you know, there was some fruit here, and I told you not to eat the fruit, and the fruit was eaten, and what's happening? Adam, Adam, what's going on here? 
and Adam has the most guy response that's ever been recorded in the history of humanity, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So in one sentence, he manages to blame his wife and God for giving him this this crazy woman, right? He's blaming God. He's blaming her. He's blaming the decisions that, that, that God made. He's refusing to take responsibility for his words and for his actions. And it absolutely leads to the, the degradation of the relationship. Now, in your life, I, I wonder, is there anywhere that you're still blaming the circumstances for the lack of change? Blaming stress? And I just do it because I'm just so stressed out. Blaming an illness? You know, I would, but I just don't have the energy. Blaming the person, you know, if they didn't act like that, then I wouldn't, you know, they're always so, you know, she always, he always, always is such a big word, isn't it? When you hear the word always, you're hearing blame. Sometimes we blame the boss. Sometimes we blame our upbringing. They say, man, if you knew how messed up my parents were, and we're saying, that's why I do the things I do. You know, if, if you find blame in your life, you're going to find something that will prevent you from changing because as long as you're blaming, you will not experience lasting change. Change happens when you realize this. The greatest threat to me comes from inside of me, not outside of me. It's not about the circumstances out there. This is a profoundly biblical thought. The Bible would talk about this in the category of sin that the greatest threat to me and the greatest threat to my change and my lasting change, it comes from inside of me, not outside of me. And when I get to the place that I need to deal with the things that are inside of me preventing me from changing, I'm on my way to needing a savior. What will sabotage change in your life is usually you. Life is always gonna be hard. You are always gonna fall, I'm always gonna fall. But how we respond to that is a matter of what's inside of me, not outside of me. Now, here's the best part. Now, let me put some good news behind this. God, when you confess to God, he welcomes you with open arms. When you turn to God and say, God, it's time for me to own some personal responsibility for my words and actions, God gives you grace on top of grace on top of grace. He's not a God who's out to judge you and condemn you and curse you. He's a God who's welcoming you home, saying, when you come to me, you find forgiveness. You find mercy. You find help to change. You find help to live a righteous life. God wants to give you grace on top of grace on top of grace. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess, we find a father who just wants to shower us with grace. And so he's opening the door and opening a pathway for us to stop blaming our circumstances and start taking responsibility. All right, so that's the first thing that's going to kill change in our lives. The second thing that's going to prevent us, prevent us from experiencing lasting change. Number two, I'm trying to do it alone. The verse we looked at in the beginning said, a righteous person falls seven times but rises again while the wicked stumble in the day of calamity. And one of the main reasons a righteous person is surrounded, one of the main reasons a righteous person gets back up is that they're surrounded by other people who help them back up. Look at Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, the other can help them up. But pity the, anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? 
Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You see, when you've got community in your life, a fall isn't permanent because you've got people encouraging you, exhorting you. You have people lifting you up. You have people holding you accountable. They help you back up. And if you want to sabotage change in your life, there's no quicker way than to do it alone. Don't tell anyone. Don't let anyone know. And you will doom your change to failure. At our church here, we provide community groups for people because we just believe this, that circles are better than rows, that when you come and you sit in rows, there's good things that happen there, but when you want to experience meaningful and lasting change in your life, you've got to sit in rows so that you can discuss with other people, you can, uh, you can hold each other accountable, you can experience belonging, you can care for each other, you can obey Jesus by loving one another, serving one another, lifting up each other up, encouraging one another, all of those kinds of things. And so we provide community groups for people. And we're actually starting three new groups next week. It's February 9th, right after the service. We're start at least three new groups. We might start more. Um, we're starting a couples group, a men's group, and a women's group. And the way that we do it is the groups that start are four weeks long. So there's kind of a test drive on community. So you get into the group, you, go, you show up four times, and at the end, you kind of say, like, is this something I want to continue with? You know, did I like these people? Like, maybe you don't have to tell them out loud. But, you know, you're kind of thinking, like, is this a group of people? And if you have a great experience, then the group has the option to continue on. And if not, then you can say, hey, that was nice. Great to meet you guys. I'll see you on Sunday, you know. Um, but we just value this idea that life is better connected. That when you're isolated, you know, it's easy to, you know, that's how the wolves pick off the, they pick off the ones that are isolated. And isolation leads to self-deception, and self-deception leads to self-destruction. You need other people in your life. So I reached out to some people who participated in community, two people, uh, this fall. And here's what they said. The first one was Chris, our guitarist. Did Chris do a great day, job today or what? I mean, <laughs> love having him help us worship together. Here's what he said. He said, being part of a community group was an excellent way for me to learn more in-depth about other people at church. Last year, it was my first time joining a community group. Everyone was welcoming, and it felt like a very safe and fun place to share and participate being able to connect with the group has helped me grow my spiritual life and strengthened my faith. And that's just what we hear over and over and over again. When you get into groups, you get connected to other people and you grow spiritually. Because it's really, it's almost impossible to grow spiritually if you're not connected relationally. Because so much of spiritual growth is about how you love other people. Um, our, our other friend, Chine, helped us. Uh, she was in a group this, this fall, and here's what she said. Being a part of a small group has allowed me to connect with church in a way that I have not experienced in the seven years since I left home. I look forward to Tuesday nights because I'm able to celebrate good news with people I know are genuinely happy for me. On the days when I'm upset, my small group is there for me, and I do not feel like I have to filter my sadness. I'm challenged by the members of my group to grow deeper in the word and really spend time with God every day. My small group leaders are amazing, and this is what she said. Shout out to Adrian Nicole. And make me feel like I truly have found my people. I am excited to see what God continues to do as I stay connected. Here's what I believe. Um, God has people for you. I really believe that. I really truly believe that in the core of my being. And my hope for you as a pastor is that you would be able to say a month from now, two months from now, I found my people. They're weird. They're quirky. Like they're strange but they, I love them, they care for me, I care for them, we have a great time together, I found my people. And when you find your people, you'll also find you start to grow spiritually because you're loving them and they're loving you 
and all that together, you're loving God. So at our church, we don't have a goal for Sunday morning attendance. That's not something that we aim at, but we do have a goal for how many people get into groups. We're trying to grow our group participation to 100 people by the end of the year this year because groups are where life change happens. Now, if you are not yet signed up and you're not in a group, take out your connection card for just a second and take a look at this. Go ahead. On the, bo- on the back, there's a box that says, sign me up for the community group connection event. That's next week. And if you fill that out, put a name, an email address, maybe best phone number on there, we'll make sure you get the details so you can show up right after service next week. We'll take care of all the details for you. We'll have some food there. We'll have child care if you need it. Um, we'll have some friendly people who help you get connected. And you can drop this in the offering basket when it comes by later. But life is better connected. Because here's the thing. When it comes to lasting change in your life, God wants to give you the grace you need to change. He does. And so much of that grace comes through people. You know, spirituality seems very, sometimes very ethereal, kind of like a cloud, kind of mystical. But God wants to encourage you, and he wants to do it through people. Right? God wants to help you. He wants to do it through people. God wants to speak truth in your life, and he often does it through people. God wants to lift you up and encourage you and keep going. He does that through people. So you get access to the grace of God when you have people in your life. All right, number three, the third way that we kill lasting change in our life, I ignore the unseen realm. If you think about it, change should be easy. You know, you're like, okay, here's the thing I want to change in my life. Now I've got some concrete steps I'm going to take. I got a plan. Great, now change is definitely going to happen, right? Why is change so difficult? If it were just a matter of technique, if it were just a matter of tactics, if it were just a matter of follow the steps, change would be automatic, but it's not. Because there are spiritual components of change that you have to acknowledge if you want to change. Um, There's a great story about this in the Bible. It's from the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua was a military leader of the people of Israel. And uh, he's bringing them into this. They were, they were slaves in the land of Egypt, and they had no land of their own. And so God said, okay, I need a place for you to settle. And so Joshua's moving the people into this land that was promised to them, which, by the way, is why they call it the promised land. And the, the first city they come up against is called Jericho. And if you, maybe you grew up as a Christian, and you were in VBS, and, you know, they marched around the city seven times, and the walls come tumbling down. I'm sure there's a song about it. Yes? Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know it, but you know it. And... Um, and they march right. Now, Jericho was a, and if you didn't grow up in church like I didn't, you didn't, you had to learn about this later. Jericho, it turns out, was an enormous city. And they, they've excavated this archaeologically, and it had these huge, huge citadels of stone. It was a walled city. It was fortified. It was the major city. So they went and attacked the major city and took it out first. And they did it successfully. But God had one requirement for them. He said, on this first city, you are not to take any plunder. Everything you take belongs to the Lord. So, you, you know, when the walls come tumbling down, don't take anything. Well, there's a man named Achan. And man, it would, it would suck to be Achan because he's only famous for one thing in the Bible. And that is taking the silver and the gold from the city of Jericho. So after this battle's over, <clears throat> they go to another battle, which is a, 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 it's, it's not a major city. It's a tiny little village called Ai. And so they don't send the whole army. They send a detachment of the army and they say, hey, just go take care of Ai and come and report back. And the men go to Ai and they get engaged in a battle and they get wiped out and 36 men die. 
36 husbands, brothers, soldiers don't come back to their families. And so, you know, the blame game starts and they say, okay, did we not send enough troops? Did we not have enough chariots? Did we have inferior weaponry? Like what is it? They're taking stock of everything they can see and everything they can think of. But when they come back, what they find out is something was off in the unseen realm. And so they were missing out on God's blessing. And so God says, listen, someone stole the the devoted things from Jericho. And they go through this whole process and they find out that it was Achan, that he had buried the silver under his tent. And because something was off in the unseen realm, instead of experiencing victory, they experienced defeat. There are things that are connected in the unseen realm in your life. And if you ignore it, you might be sabotaging change in your own life without realizing it. You might think, you know, why won't my marriage improve? But you're in business with people who steal. You, you might wonder, why can't I break this destructive habit? But you never give generously. You might think, you know, I should have victory in this already. But you aren't loving the people who are close to you well. You're, you're demeaning and demanding, and your relationships are centered around you. You know what all these situations have in common? You're ignoring the unseen realm. 1 Peter 5.8, which is our memory verse today, says this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be alert. Pay attention. Think clearly. Because there's more going on than just what you can see. You know, I, oftentimes when it comes to change, we feel like we're just battling our biology. You're like, oh, I just have these urges, I have these temptations, and if I could just, you know, get over this, and then, then I could change, and I would change in my life. We feel like we're just battling our biology. But Ephesians 6, 12 says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. There is an unseen realm, there is a component to change that is unseen, and you ignore it at your own peril. So what do you do about that? Well, some people try to name every demon. They start praying against things in marine kingdoms, and they start, I mean, they, you know, it gets, it gets weirder and weirder and weirder. And in the Bible, there is an aspect of praying for spiritual protection. There's God asking you to protect you. And there's a few verses about that. But there are thousands of verses in the Bible about seeking God's blessing on your life. Achan wanted silver more than he wanted God's blessing in battle, and he got what he wanted. And so the question for us is, is there any area of my life where I am trading God's blessing for something temporary? You might be sabotaging change in your life without even knowing it. Do you want to save money more than you want God's blessing on your relationship? He'll let you do that. Do you want to make money more than you want God's blessing on your business? He will let you do that. Are you going to cut corners and forfeit God's blessing on your life? You know, I, I used to be a corner cutter. I don't like rules. Some of you love rules. You're like best friends with the rules. I hate rules, and I feel like they, shouldn't, they should apply to everybody but me because I'm special. My mom told me I'm special, and so I don't like the rules. And so I would often cut corners and do little things wrong and just, you know, skirt the edges a little bit. But I've come to realize that what I need more than anything, what I need in my marriage more than anything is God's blessing. What I need in this church more than anything is God's blessing. What I need in my family 
is God's blessing. And it would be so silly to forfeit God's blessing for a shortcut or for a temporary reward. So is there anything where you need to remove it from your life and take a step towards God in faith and say, God, I need your blessing. And when you do that and you take that step in faith and you honor him and obey him with your life, guess what you find? Grace. (laughs) Again, you find it again. You find so much grace that you can't even stand it. When you make honoring God your priority, he makes honoring you his priority. When you, make seek, when you seek first the kingdom, he adds everything else onto your life. God gives you the grace you need to change. So don't ignore the unseen realm or you'll sabotage your own change. All right. The fourth and final thing. The fourth and final reason that we don't experience lasting change is if I rely on my own power. One of the reasons that some people stumble and fall and stay down is because, you know, they're operating under their own power. And eventually, you are going to run out of power. The most popular way to try to change is willpower. And so we rely on our own power, and then we're surprised, shocked, shocked when our power runs out. Like we just had limitless willpower. It's like trying to drive from Massachusetts to California in a Tesla. You, you don't have enough power in the car. You're going to have to stop. You're going to have to get power from outside. When it comes to change in your life, the same thing holds true. If you only rely on your willpower, you'll run out of power. But God has all the power you will ever need to change. He has enough power to raise the dead, so he has enough power to deal with your problems. Um... In ancient Israel, when kings would go to battle, before they would go out to war, they would take an accounting of their troops. And they would figure out how powerful they were, how much strength they had. And they'd say, okay, this is how many horses, this is how many chariots, this is how many soldiers. And if they were powerful enough, and they had enough strength to win, they would go out and they would attack. They would count their strength and they would make plans accordingly. But it turns out, in this surprise verse in the Bible, that that is not the best strategy. Look at Psalm 27 through 8. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. The reason it wasn't the best strategy is because there is strength and power available beyond the strongest army in the entire world, and it is available to who? People who trust in God. Trusting in God to give you the victory Trusting in God to bring the change in your life. Trust gives you access to God's power. And I want to tell you, you know, this is really where the heart of the message is. Because God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. He absolutely loves you. God knew that you would struggle to change. God knew that your willpower wouldn't be enough. God knew that there would be days and months and years of journal entries where you say, God, not again. God knows that you don't need a little more willpower. You don't need a little more of a boost. He knew and he knows that you need a savior. So Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died a death in your place on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sin and all the failure and all the falls and all the failure to change. And after he died, from the, after he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. 
where God's power was, it was a serious display of God's power. And then God offers that same power to those who put their trust in Jesus. In the Bible, the word believe means something like confident trust. It doesn't exactly mean believe in English because we believe in Santa Claus, we believe in the tooth fairy, and we believe in Jesus don't mean the same thing. Right, so believe in the Bible is something like, I'm really, I'm putting myself in your hands. I'm trusting you. I'm putting my whole life, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna dedicate myself to you. That's what believe means in the Bible. It means to put your trust in him. And here's what John 1, 12 through 13 says about Jesus. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. When you put your trust in Jesus, he gives you all the grace you could ever need. And more, he gives you forgiveness for your past, for your complete inability to change yourself. He gives you hope for eternity, and he gives you the power to change today. And so if you've never put your trust in Jesus before, then you're trying to change on your own power, and ultimately it's not going to work. And if you've been just exhausted by life, saying, God, why can't, why can't I change? You know, it could be because you're trying to change on your own power, but you don't have enough power to change, and so you need to trust him. But you can trust him today. And the Bible says that when you put your faith in him, he gives you access to his grace. You're standing in his grace. You're swimming in grace. You're up to your neck in grace. And so in just a minute, um, you know, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray a prayer that sounds something like this. You know, God, I know that I need your help to change. I know that I need forgiveness for my past. I need hope for my future. I need the power to change today. I believe that Jesus died in my place and rose again, and I want to follow him. And when you put your life in his hands, he gives you the help you need. Now, I want to speak to those of you who are Christians for just a minute, and I want to encourage you with this, this final thought before we end our series. If you are a Christian, you don't have to earn the love of your father by changing. God already loves you. When you put your trust in him, he says he makes you part of his family. He is a father. You don't have to move on from the foot of the cross and do better so that God will approve of you. You just have to keep trusting. And you just have to keep trusting more and more every day for the rest of your life. You just have to cling to the foot of the cross because that's where you find the mercy that you need for your failure to change and the help you need to change. Because God is absolutely committed to helping you change. The old is gone, the new has come, and God is committed to help you become that new person. Now, I want to invite the worship team back up now, and I'm going to pray. And as I do, if you've never put your faith in God before and you say, I need that in my life, I need his help to change, then I want to invite you to pray this prayer along with me. You can pray along silently in your heart as I pray out loud. God, I know that I need more than just a little bit more willpower. I, I need a savior. I need someone to forgive me for my past, which is something I can't do. I need someone to secure my eternity in the future, which is something I can't do. And God, I need your help to give me the power to change, which is something I don't have. And so I put 
all of me into your hands. I trust you. And I want to follow Jesus. I don't know everything that means, but I want to follow him. God, would you come into my life and save me and give me the power to change? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.